You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And I tell you, I, I am at times critical of Seth. At times. More like all the time. Usually with with reason. So I, I'm 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 often uh I like to point out when I'm very impressed by Seth as well. Oh, hey, my ears are open. Because we're, <laughs> we're here cutting segments, and he got interrupted by a Seth emergency. And, and I'll tell you, I have di- diplomatic abilities sporadically in certain situations. Seth is amazingly diplomatic in even the most extreme circumstances. It is unbelievable the way he rolls with certain things, and it's impressive, dude. Well, thank you. I, um, I would totally disagree with that. <laughs> I would have thrown my phone against the wall five times in what I just heard you go through. But anyways, I did almost put my hand through a wall, but I did restrain myself. So you're getting that. very good with controlling your anger. That's what you do, people, as you get older. You learn to control your anger. Being quick to temper is being weak-minded. You be selective about your anger, then your anger has impact. But we have a great show this week. We certainly do. This is a show that's been in the can, if you will, for a while, so now it's time to crack that can open, Rob. But first, what's the elephant in the room, Seth? I'm told not to do the elephant anymore. Can we do the rhinoceros? Is this the same person who told you that the (laughs) Thank you. The elephant, we have our our second live event. It's right. I think it's less than a week from when this will be released, right? Next Tuesday, September 19th. September 19th, the City Winery in Atlanta, job. WTNS Live, featuring DJ Logic, an interview with Steve Lopez. Which and City Winery? Of course, City Winery's really excited about the Steve Lopez I was doing interview. my whole thing, man. Steve Lopez interview is really a big deal to City Winery. <laughs> it is. We'll explain that in our final segment <laughs> as, I'm, as Seth takes a verbal beating from Rob. Uh, hot French bread. Anyway, uh, also we have our my favorite young Humphreys At- McGee Atlanta band. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Young Humphreys, those guys are old, dude. <sighs> they don't even hang out at festivals. They play the gig and they get home. You're listening to Inside Out. Oh, sorry, I thought we were starting over. Dad Rock. Um, so go ahead, Rob. <laughs> Voodoo Visionary, Voodoo Visionary with DJ Logic, who I've seen play with so many people. Oh, and he- now, ladies and gentlemen, what is going to be happening on this show is not just Voodoo Visionary doing the Voodoo Visionary material. It's a Voodoo Visionary like you've never seen them before. They're going to be performing. Each song is going to be funk covers, and they are going to be bringing in History. members of the Atlanta music community from Grant Green Jr. to Donna Hopkins and everyone in between. The phrase history of funk has been thrown in here, has it not? It is. It has been. We're, uh, DJ Logic's going to be performing the whole time. Uh, Jim... Who, Jim, Jim uh, f- uh, from Mo, who we interviewed a couple oh, weeks Jim ago. Oh, Jim Hoffman? He's going to come down? He said he was interested. You heard it here. Go back and hear it. He says it on the episode. So speaking of DJ Logic, you know how I'm going through my collection, doing the purge, yada, uh-huh. yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Go back yep. and listen to past episodes, mm-hmm. but uh-huh. going through mm-hmm. my collection. Yep. Found DJ Logic CDs playing with, you'll never believe, playing with who? The who? Christian McBride. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. He, and then re- most recently, uh, your boy, uh, Bob Weir sat in with him. Well, not Lockett. most recently. It's been a while ago, but he's he's that's he's, still most recent compared to. Actually, your, <laughs> no, actually, the Christian one's more recent. But just Wait, say, how just can you say, say random things? It's not like you, you say, host a podcast. No, hold on a second. How could you say that that the Christian McBride's not most recent when you're saying you went through old tapes? How is that more going through tapes? It's on CD, and that's more recent. It's from like two. Yeah, he toured with Weir in oh three oh four and no, the Weir thing. sat in with him at Lockin just the other day. Oh, I didn't even know that. With Logic played with him. Well, if you, you, you didn't know. Lo- I didn't think Weir you were into sat Lockin in with Logic. Anymore. I didn't. I didn't think you were into Lockin. No, anymore. I'm into DJ Logic. 
No, I haven't. I'm not keeping up with the dead stuff as much as I used to because I'm I'm focused on the podcast and the, I focus on I the bands. I put it on our podcast Facebook page. I'm not on Facebook. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with Facebook? <laughs> oh, let's not. That's another episode for you. But I focus on Save people on the show. With the dead, the dead aren't really interested in our show, so I'm, I'm losing interest in them. Hopefully, sometime down the road we'll get them and they'll become part of my uh, going down the road. I like work. what you did there. So, so City Winery bad about the dead not being interested. The dead and company in particular, man. WTNS. We could have done like our Baker's dozen. I wanted to do something like that for the dead company tour but no publicist doesn't like to respond go ahead we are going to be featuring the charity yes speaking of dead we're here not we're here the video series from tri studios but we're here what's it called we're We're here here for for you you. these folks provide hearing protection for free at concerts which can be very beneficial for people who forget their hearing protection and hearing's an important thing maybe it's not like your eyes you don't have to put on stuff and stare at listen to any kind of eclipse or anything (laughs) <laughs> You're funny. Um, no, no. We're here for you. dot org. That's W E R E H E A R F O R Y O U. dot org. Uh, check them out. Uh, their mission: they are a five hundred one three five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. Their mission is to provide concert goers, musicians, and music industry professionals with free hearing protection and hearing conservation education while promoting premium audiological services and products to create safe live music experiences um their site gives it all to you but you've seen the ear on a jar with the free earplugs we're going to be doing a lot of fundraising stuff now listen it's not just the live auction where we're auctioning off a guitar and other music memorabilia there's going to be a silent auction there's going to be games there's going to be prizes like tickets to festivals, tic- uh, like uh, Halloween, tickets to concerts, tickets uh, uh, to f- uh, mer- merch, stuff to restaurants, local restaurants, a $50 gift certificate to Fox Brothers, uh, catering from uh, Bojonic. I mean, the list goes on and on. The prizes are galore. But get this, Rob. Yes. DJ Logic. Steve Lopez, they tie into the panic crowd and the community, and we know what like panic crowd likes. They like to gamble, and we're going to have a casino here. Awesome. And everyone that plays the casino that wins a little bit is going to walk away with something. So come on down, folks. Seth knows how to hook people up with gifts. This is what he does. Uh, some thank yous, man. Oh, first, should, I, should I run the thank you wheel? Sure. Th- I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Josh Thane, doing wonderful work for us. Josh Thane, productions.com. Wonder Dog Sound Studios. Migrant Worker. Who, by the way, Brad from the Variety, who doesn't often comment on young yeah. bands. Go ahead, do it again. Yeah. <laughs> he liked Migrant Worker, and uh, I'm, I'm already needling him. That uh, He's listened to their album more than he's listened to our podcast. Probably. Does he listen to our podcast? Brad, if you listen, email us at insideoutwtns. I doubt it. At gmail.com. He probably listened to Baker's Dozen Thing, and that's it. And probably didn't even get through it. Uh, he, a dozen times. Go ahead. I saw Helping Friendly Podcast did a recap. Thank yous. Thank yous. Came in a little shorter. They did a recap of our recap? Yeah. Did, are you they, they, <laughs> no, Here's our recap of Inside Out WTNS's Baker's Dozen recap. And they s- essentially said we sucked. <laughs> no, I said I'm kidding. <laughs> Back to the thank yous. Um, um, Harris has come into our world. Harris Sullivan from Sullivan Sounds. No, I'm kidding, but Harris Sullivan. Which he's... leads with an apology, because he, he came down to our first live event and worked his butt off, collected money, got email signatures, was just ready to do anything, and between Seth and myself, we have to mutually accept blame. Whoops. 
we forgot to tell him that the food backstage that he was, you know, that's for the musicians was also for the workers. I did tell and him. And your wife. I did set him up with a discount at the bar, but he chose not to drink. And I choose one woman for that night also. Other than that, please stay away from the food and drink backstage. It's for the musicians and the people working. Well, you're going to have to talk to Bubba, our new security guard at the door. So here's how this episode is going to go. And by the way, we have new interns coming, but more on that later. More on that later. City Winery's been printing promo. Seth Robert Kwan. And and let's not forget Encyclomedia, the video team you saw there, and that will be back, as well as Carrie Romanoff from Hatch Productions. They did a really good job, Encyclomedia. Thank you so much. I saw a rough cut, and we're going to release something from that somewhere down the road. Yeah, pretty soon. There's going to be a stripped-down version of them at at this event, and moving forward, they're going to be shooting. It's one of those Grow With Us situations. Grow With Us. Grow With Us. I think that's what we should have just changed our name to. No, because that'd be a little too obnoxious, even for me, which means it's got to be really obnoxious, right? Right. So is here's that, are we done with the thank yous? Here's how we yeah. You've well, been well the city winery for You've been thanked. Thank you for thank making you. the promote you. you know, I'm uh, sure I bust ass and put the grassroots up. I have a curious enjoyment of it, but it still is work and waste of gas and my dog hates sitting in the hot car for periods. But she gets long walks. But anyways, City Winery makes the promo that makes that happen. And you've printed up some too. So I really appreciate that. And um here's how this episode's gonna go. In the middle, we're going we're gonna to play the Denny Wally interview. We'll tell you who Denny Wally is in a minute. Then in the middle, we're going to, I'm going to tell a little Frank Zappa story of my own from the Boston Orpheum in 1988, how I messed up the bad side of psychedelic drugs. So stick around for a terrible Rob story. And then at the end, we're going to, should we tell the JB story from Hampton 70 or, or should we wait and do it another time? It depends on the story. I'm not exactly sure which one, but Rob, why not? And then also, I'm going to um, ream Seth for how we're being promoted on City Winery's literature schedule. Uh, it's not my fault, Rob. I'll explain it. Sure. I'll explain. Sure. Nothing's you, your fault. Okay, the fan all of a sudden has something to say about the industry. Yeah, let's talk about that. I can't Seth. wait. Let's, ta- let's get there right now. Let's just, Seth, we're going to skip to that two part. Answers. It's go. either not my role or it's not my fault. Uh, so, Denny Wally. All right, yeah, Denny. Who, who, can you please let our listeners know who? Well, this first man of is? all, if you listen to the John Fishman interview, and first of all, just tell our listeners who he is. Denny Wally played with Frank Zappa band, played with Captain Beefheart, a very established, excellent musician. Um, who lives here? He lives in here in Decatur, Decatur Georgia. Georgia. We actually used to share a hairstylist professionally, and. <laughs> He is a, like, I don't know if, if you guys have heard, there's a legendary London show where um, Zappa allows a fan member to read a poem spontaneously. And it's about a garden. I have a garden, this garden, garden, garden. And Denny, from what I'm told, signaled to Frank to come over. And Frank, with the mic, puts the mic under Denny's mouth. And Denny says, it sounds like he wants a kindergarten. And it's a legendary, legendary moment. Uh, Bamboozled by love is Denny. He sings that. And also, um, he sat in with Colonel a bunch at, the, at his last Vista performances back in, you know, early in this year, late last year. So he's part of the whole Colonel world, too. He loved the Colonel. I mean, who didn't? Yes. But the reason John Fishman gauzed him. Uh, oh, yeah. Not, talk about that. If you're not a Fish fan or if you um, are a Fish fan and haven't, if you're a Fish fan and you haven't listened to the Fishman interview, I mean, what, what is wrong with you? But 
if you're not a fish fan, uh, John Fishman told us about a thing fish has called gauzing, and that's when a fan or an eager someone else comes up to you and says, oh, you guys, you guys are great, you guys, you guys. And then, uh, and so telling us, he's told us that he had done it to Denny Wally. And the reason he had done it is because of Denny's work with a guy by the name of Captain Beefheart, who is, I wouldn't want to reduce him to a kind of side family project to Frank, because there are a lot of people who love Beefheart who don't like Frank Zappa particularly in the punk world. Um, he, he's, he's seen as a kind of a, you know, he, he's an experimental guy. There's some Tom Waits in him. It's kind of like Tom Waits, somewhere between Tom Waits and the Colonel, really. As I was reviewing, I went through a bunch of his I gotta catalog. be honest, I, I need to jump into some beef heart. I, I haven't. I don't have, I mean, I've obviously heard a couple of tunes here and there, but I really need to like, uh, to dive into that, you know what I mean? He's overlooked by a lot of folks, but not a lot by many musicians. But new wave, punk, post-punk, experimental, alternative rock, psychedelic rock, his influence affects so, so many musicians. And the fact that John Fishman fawned over him when he met him, shamelessly, should be indicative of what a great guy this is. Yeah, what a great, and, and a great musician. So the me. shows, let me just paint the picture, though. The, this is the... Hampton 70, Night at the Fox Theater. Right, and I'm running around. We just around. had a great day interviewing so many people. We're just now, uh, the show's about to start. We're walking out to go see the show, and then no, all of a sudden- you and Josh were getting drinks. Oh, yeah. And the professional was backstage continuing to work, getting interviews. But you guys got to the front of the line and raced over or something, right? Uh, well, we went to the, the VIP bar. Oh, anyway. Get you all hoin, 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 hoin. Something the industry folks get access to, I guess. The Burko Bar? They call it the Burko Bar? No. Or was it not super enough? No, it's not super enough. By the way, Burko, Dan Berkowitz was on the Howard Stern wrap-up show. Great job. That's with CID Entertainment. CID Entertainment. CID Presents. Huge Stern fan. Pretty, He's pretty astute on the current state of uh, Stern. Not sure if he's uh, well-versed on the historic stuff but we'll have to you know what very we should, knowledge, very quick we should answers. interview him and not talk about cid entertainment just talk about him being a stern fan well, i'd be fine with that but essentially the john hine uh is very on the ball the guy who hosts that show yeah, well he's the guy that set up that whole thing with Humphreys a couple years ago mm-hmm. and just and he's very rapid fire and on point with the questions and dan was right there with him on the answers and whoever else was in it was it was very good i don't normally like the wrap-up show quite frankly <laughs> i don't normally listen to it at all but that was a pretty pretty good version it was uh interesting I I would like. Is it available? Do you have it on tape, Rob? Um, on demand on the on the Sirius app. Oh, I don't have Sirius Radio, but they could be a sponsor, or they could even take on the show. Sirius Radio, hello. But really, quick trip convenience stores would be the smart ones because I could talk about them forever. They're yeah. superior, and I could say why. That's the problem. And that's it. I don't think they want you talking about them. <laughs> oh, dude, I would crush that. that you don't say that. That's oh my- not a good way to lure sponsors. Do you have any sort of media? Savvy? Well, I have a photo hey, of Rob, you right now. I don't now. think that company should be associated with you. Let's get them as a sponsor. <laughs> uh, folks, ding I'm going to post a photo right now of back. Rob. He looks like Wolverine. <laughs> he does. I don't know what's going on here. So Josh and I now are, have our drinks in hand. Oh, right. And Rob comes running out. And he's like, running? Oh, I think I texted you first and then I ran out because I didn't think you guys were going to do it. Go ahead. Yeah, that's all. You got, you got, take it from here, Rob. Well, because gonna... Denny Wally was a big deal. I mean, the Beefheart element, I knew musicians would want to hear about. And come on, Frank Zappa. Well, when Rob said that, Josh and I dropped our drinks. Frank Zappa spilt them all over the floor, ran upstairs, and we conducted this interview. I think so... Frank Zappa is one of the most significant composers, performers in the history of rock. And I'm not being just some dip 20 something hyperbole junkie journalist. He actually, that is an actual statement. 
actual accurate statement. So here's a guy who worked with him a bunch. Here's a story about how he found Frank, how he first met his brother, how he got to play with Captain Beefheart, and then some stories along the way, and also what Denny thought of the colonel. So take it. Send him, Seth. Here's Denny Wally. Still high above Ponce de Leon, backstage at Hampton 70. I am out of breath from running the stairs. Because we, Josh and I were, as you said, front row in the line for the bar. And um, got our drinks. Got your text. Yes. And managed to run 25 flights of stairs Thank without you. spilling. Because they both know this is important to me. Because we are sitting here <laughs> with a veteran of Colonel Love, but also of Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart, Mr. Denny Wally. Denny, thank you for joining us. Thank oh, you, Denny. It's my pleasure. It's really, a, this whole thing has been just a dream. You know, if, if you're a jam band fan, you have, this is Nirvana tonight. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just the best. The, the feeling to be on stage with guys of that caliber just takes you to another level, you know. And they're all saying the same thing. <laughs> well... Well, are you, are you no, no accounting for bad taste. <laughs> are you a baseball fan at all? Uh, no, not really. I was when I was a kid, when oh. I, I lived in Brooklyn as a kid. Well, there was just a Cy Young Award winner on stage with you, marveling at you while you soloed. I mean, marveling at you. You know, I had no idea that I knew he played baseball. But not but bass. I had, but I had no idea. And then when I found out later, I felt like, you know what? I should have listened to Bruce more. <laughs> so speaking of listening to Bruce, what have you listened to, Bruce? Tell us, tell yes. us a little about your relationship uh, with Bruce Hampton. It's really strange. Actually, the first time we formally met was at Smith's Old Bar about 20 years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I walked in, and he was sitting at the bar, and I knew who he was, and he didn't know me at all. So we sit down talking, and we're talking for about five minutes, and he says, Aquarius. <laughs> I said, excuse me? I said, Aquarius. Uh, Did you think it was a song request? I said, uh, February. He said, nine. No, four. And it was. He got your birthday. He got my birthday. And I'm talking to him five minutes, never had a conversation Amazing. with him in my life. 
But rewind and go back to like 1967, somewhere in there. I was living in uh, New York. I had a, a band called the Detours, a little blues band. And, uh, and we were playing there. And Bruce was there at the same time. And we were in the same places at the same time and never met. So like, we were in close proximity all those years ago. And the thing just came around full circle. It was really, really strange. Since you brought up the detours, real quick, you guys wore uniforms when you played? Is that correct? Well, don't call them uniforms. Okay, what was it? Uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, wore, we wore suits or we wore cardigan jackets and we, we all wore the same thing. And actually, I'll, I'll tell you a, a funny Frank Zappa thing. You know, I grew up in Lancaster uh, from about... 11 years old through 14, 15. Lancaster, California. Lancaster, California. And uh, Frank lived about two blocks from my house, and I happened to be best friends with his brother, Bobby. And uh, that's how I met Frank. And, and uh, we all went to uh, this uh, Anno Valley Joint Union High School. I went to school with Frank, Beefheart, and uh, Jim Sherwood, Jim Motorhead Sherwood. We all went to the same school at the same time. That's crazy. So, so I mean... What was that high school band like? This is like in the middle of the desert, you know, where it's, you know, like cowboys and... Where, where do these... What happens to this? I think something flew over real low, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> because we were near Edwards Air Force Base and doing all this experimental stuff. I think we've been touched. Crazed dusted. <laughs> Crazed dusted. Yeah. So anyway, that, uh, go fast forward, I hadn't seen Frank since like the, uh, maybe at that time, since 1957. And in the interim, I was moving back and forth, California, New York. And finally went back to California. And uh, I was uh, just playing around with different bands, playing in some soul bands and things like that. And uh, Jim Sherwood, uh, I had hooked up with him again because he was still in Lancaster. Motorhead Sherwood from Zappa yeah. fame. And he had just come back from a rehearsal with, at Frank's and said that Frank was looking for a guitar player that could sing and, and, and could play slide. So uh, Moda told him about me. And Frank had no idea. He remembered me, but he didn't, had no idea I played anything. I think he knew that I played accordion <laughs> at, at one time, and that was the last he ever heard about that. So uh, Moda said that, Frank said, well, have Denny come down tomorrow to rehearsal. So I said, well, okay. <laughs> so I showed up with that Dan Electro guitar that I still play. I showed up and I walk in the door and there's Napoleon Murphy Brock, George Duke, Tom Fowler, Terry Bozio, and Frank. Good God. <laughs> and my knees buckled. Yeah. And I'm standing there with my guitar and he said I just plug in over here so I'm shaking I mean really shaking and uh, he said okay uh, advanced romance he called for the band to do it no more credit from the I was not I never heard the song knew nothing about it it's a complex song right with weird signatures Uh, no that's kind of straight ahead but uh, there's, there's some little sounds quirky turns uh, but you know the, the rule is when in doubt lay out you know so 
it, it wasn't really that big a problem. So I started playing, and about halfway through the song, Frank stopped the band. And I said, oh, here it comes. It's over, man. You're out the door. So he comes up to me and he says, anyone with balls enough to play those low notes has got the job. Pirellis, sign him up. <laughs> and wow. that was it. Wow. And he said, okay, uh, rehearsals are going to start in about a few days. Uh, here's some things, get familiar with it. He hands me this stuff, and I don't read. You know, I mean, I can, but it, it's glacially slow. So, but I went home and I shed it and listened to the, all the songs on vinyl that he had and some tapes and other things. And uh, that was it. Then just started going to the you know, rehearsals, which were intense, you know, like eight, ten hours a day, five days, six days a week. And also, if someone was messing up certain things, he zeroes in on them in a Belichick like fashion, right? Again? He will make people <laughs> accountable for every note everything they do well you know that's do your job that's the weird part of it uh, because Frank and I also at the time I was living in California were collecting blues records 45's and things that they, they used to have in this five and dime store they'd have the cutout bin from all the jukeboxes and that kind of stuff and we'd go through there and pick out all this stuff on Excello and Ace and King and Duke and uh, so Basically, we were drinking from the same well when it came to the, our preference in music and stuff, so I had a really deep blues thing. Uh, so, when he, when I was in the band, uh, each band that Frank had, a lot of it was the musicians uh, were there because the music that he had written would dictate that type of musician. You know, I, I'm not a classical guy, so I, I didn't do any of the orchestral stuff. But that particular tour, the Bongo Fury tour, which was the first one with Beefheart, was like right up my alley. So we started rehearsals with that, and he really didn't give me any instruction. I just had to know the changes and stuff. There, wasn't, there was some notation where it was not just me, me and a couple other guys, you know, so I could figure the parts out. You know, I'd work on them at home and then come in, I'd be ready. But um, be ready I, be ready. I, I would just start playing what I felt in places. I would start hanging ornaments on the tree here and there, you know. And he never stopped me from doing it. He get, kind of gave me a free hand to, uh, he trusted me to, you know, to be tasteful and not step on anything. And that was, that was kind of it for a long time. And then, then at one point, uh, he handed me a bunch of music and I said, hey Frank, how about if I play it and then you write it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's Is that how Bamboozled by Love happened? And, that, and that's kind of how the deal was because I, even after I left the band, he had other people playing my parts. Wow, that makes sense. So, which was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, a lot of people say that, oh, he was a taskmaster. Well, you know, if you're writing stuff like that, you want, it to, you want to hear your music. Sure. You know, so, I mean, you stick to that. You don't break the rules until you know them. And with every band... Uh, when we got through with rehearsals, we were really tight and stuff, but as the tour progresses, things start to change, and you kind of feel ownership of certain things, you know, and the whole band changes, so arrangements you were doing when you first started have very little resemblance by the time the tour is over, because something will happen with the audience, or some event happened that day, or... Oh, let's add this. Let's add that, and then you labor on learning that, and they say, "Oh, wait, how about doing this now?" 
now let's do this. And then he's, you know, keeps piling stuff on. So uh, it was always interesting. You know, he just, he, he, he kept it moving all the time. You know, it was, it was a great experience. It's like being paid to go to college. You know, it was, it was the, the best experience of my life, probably musically, as far as challenging, because he would bring things out of people that you didn't know you could do. You know, but he's, he could see things. That's a similarity to him and Colonel Bruce, like the big same, time. That's the, that's the close parallel. Bruce brings people, the most unlikely people, into the fold and gives them, you know, shines a light on them. Gives him a spot, and no rules. Just do it, you know. Do what you want. And Frank kind of, in in one sense, you couldn't just do what you wanted, but he would bring people. Like he brought me in. Like when I look at the other people he's had in his bands, I go, "What the hell am I doing here?" You know. I mean, these guys had slipped my wrists in a second. You know. I mean, it's. But um, he, well, obviously, I still have a career because of him. Because after the first tour, he said, you should play with Beefheart. And because Beefheart at that time had no band, because he had signed so many bad contracts. He signed anything they put in front of him. Mm -hmm. So he was being sued, he was broke, he didn't have anything going. Uh, and Frank brought him out on that tour, and then after that, suggested he get a band together, and he asked me if I'd be interested. I said, yeah, I don't, I don't really know his music or anything because I hadn't heard anything by Beefheart before in my life. So Frank gave me a copy of Trout Mask Replica to bring home and listen to. I put that thing on and listened to it and I go, what the hell is, what is, what is this? So I called Frank. I said, Frank, what did I do wrong? What are you mad at me for? <laughs> you pissed off at me for, for something? And, I said, I'm listening to this thing. I can't even find a guitar part. <laughs> I, I, I know there's guitars, but which one is me? Who's like an elephant there the, too? The, the, sure. the, yeah, this, <laughs> the, I have no idea what I'm doing. He said, "Just you know, just listen to it again." So I listened to it about five times, and about the fifth time, I could really hear the blues influence in it. You know, and I was able to pick out. You know, my I could separate my part from the other ones. Sounds like one of those three D uh, posters, like that you stand yeah, yeah. until it pops out. <laughs> so then it became really interesting, and of course, nothing was written, and uh, not that it would have helped with my reading abilities. So, uh, but John French was a great help. In fact, John French is the one who wrote down everything that Beefheart did. Don would whistle it, hum it, and sing a thing, or get on a piano and punk around. And then John would say, hold it, hold it. And then John would write it down. And Beefheart says, and then John would play it back. And he said, you can do that? As soon as he found out that John could do that, life as we know it was over for John. <laughs> he was the scribe. So he would write out everything. And then when he's through with it, John said, well, okay, so uh, uh, how do you want to arrange this? Who's going to do what? And, and Don would say, oh, you know what to do, John. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. So then John would go and hand each guy a part, little parts of this and little parts of that. And they would all go in separate corners of this little room and practice their little parts. And 
miraculously, when it was all, when they all started playing it together, everybody ended in the same place, hmm. and which was amazing because a lot of people, first hearing Beefheart say, they're not even trying. You know, they could never do that again. That could not be duplicated. It's total chaos. It can't happen. But it does, and it did. So, uh, you know, that, that was, it was, it was really challenging. The hardest part was probably rehearsals because we'd be there 10 hours and maybe play for one, and Don would talk the rest of the time. About what? Life? <laughs> Any and everything. You know, he'd be trying, he'd be trying to sing along with the thing, and he couldn't remember his own words, so he would, whenever he got distracted or he, he couldn't uh, remember the words, he'd go, hey man, I, I, can't, I can't concentrate, I mean, look at those shoes. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. That's all like that. Yeah, yeah. He was pointing at my shoes, these yeah, are pretty bad, and untied. But the, the way he, he gave parts to the drummer, he would, he would take his keys, and throw them on top of the trap case. Yeah, yeah, play that, play that. And uh, for a rhythm guitar part on, on uh, one of the songs we did on That Chain Polo, he wanted me to do this rhythm thing. He said, you know, do this, do <laughs> So that was my guitar part. You know, that's what I want. He tell the drummer, I want, I want, I want it to sound like a, a cat inside of a cardboard box trying to get out. <laughs> So these were, these were the instructions we got from him. Quick question. I'm not a musician, but why not just get a cat and put it in a cardboard box and record that? Well, because he had musicians to do that. Yeah, you can't get that, you know. Rob, what happened last time we put a cat in a box? Ah, no, it was a bag and it got out of the bag. Why did he call you Feelers Rebo? Well, because he wanted to call me... Uh, uh, Danny... Danny Wally uh, uh, from Walla Walla, Washington, with all those D's and W's. I said, Don, if you're going to call me that, I quit the band. <laughs> I, 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 that's not a good name. I don't want that name. These other guys got Zoothorn Romo, you got Mascara Snake, Wing Deal Fingerling, and then this. I, no, no, I don't want. I won't have it. He said, oh, Okay, then feel his Rebo. Okay, that's, that's a good one. That's a real good one. Well, you might be invited on stage soon, so a couple more quick things we'll let you go. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a more naive Zappa fan than I thought. There was a group called Geronimo, Geronimo Black. Yeah. You were in with Jimmy Carl Black, and you guys, almost, you guys almost made the big time, right? Can you tell us about that? And you said you had a story. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we, did, we had a great band. Jake and Trelly from Love was in the band. Uh, Andy Kahn, who had played with Dr. John. And uh, me, who had not played with anybody in particular, uh, and uh, Bunk Gardner, and uh, we were together for a few years, and we had a manager who got us a deal with Uni Records. Russ Reagan, who was then president and big, he loved the band. He said we're going to be the next Stones, this and that. So they were all pumped up, and about a couple of months after that. He left the record company and went with, it, with another label. And somebody, this other guy took over who did not like us at all mm. and was not interested. But they figured they'd let us, you know, record, you know, 
as long as we behaved ourselves, which we didn't, uh, I remember we went to an Elton John party up in uh, the uni building. They were having this big thing for him because they just signed him or something. And we happened to be there. So we went up into the, into the office and we saw all this party thing set up and we proceeded to go in and eat all the shrimp, drink all the beer and get totally shit-faced. So they threw us out. Then we recorded a single and it was a guy called Jack Webb, Man Against Crime, or some, some Dragnet was the thing. It was a big TV show. The Dragnet, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, Jack Webb was real big with the company. He had his own office and his own golf cart and his own this and that. And his office was right next to this recording studio. We went in to do a single. Well, we, of course, brought in a case of we celebrated because Bach beer was just coming out. Once a year, the, the Bach beer would come out with the dark beer. So we had case or two of that and once again we're, we're drinking pretty heavily and decided to hotwire Jack Webb's golf cart uh -oh. so we got in the golf cart we started driving and terrorizing the whole movie lot with it and rolled it and uh, shortly after that we were not on the label yeah so uh out of the that, golf cart. that's that, called an unglorious end I th I'm kind of proud of it <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're going to go, don't go because you're a shitty band. Yeah. Go because you were totally out of control. Listen, young bands out there, these are wise words. Take, <laughs> take this advice. I'm right. just on a golf cart immediately. Just not at music festivals that I'm working, thank you. All right, let's end with this. Colonel's been doing his uh, residency at Vista and has continued to do it. You often show up. Can you talk about jumping in? Um, yeah, well, I, I saw that he was playing. And I, I sent him a message and said, yeah, great, man. I see you're playing Thursday. And he said, yeah. He said, bring your axe. So I did. And uh, he had me up and sit in. And I had never really seen him perform and didn't really know how loose the format was. So I said, well, what do you want me to play? Oh, just come on up. Come on whenever you want. When you don't want to play, you can leave. You play as long as you want. Do whatever you want. So Bruce. Do whatever I want. I mean, this is... This is unheard of. <laughs> this, is, this is not music. <laughs> so I did. I got up there and I did whatever I wanted. And nobody threw me off and he asked me to come back. So any Thursday that I'm, if I'm in town, uh, I go there and, you know. That's awesome. So do you request to sit in on Don't Go Into That Room or does it just end up that way? It, it ended up they were doing that. And then after that, anytime he did it, I said, hey, man, I, I want to play Don't Go Into That Room. That, I, I love playing that because it's in a minor and uh, I get to make spooky noises with my slide. Uh, and in fact, I requested to do that tonight, too, but uh, it was overruled. Well, because well, they don't, I mean, want, no they don't want you in a minor. Oh boy! It, it is late in the night. That's Rob. two. That's two for yeah. now. Okay. That's low. We're keeping we're keeping track. That's here. low. It's usually yeah. higher than that. We're, yeah. we're getting the average down. But thank you, Denny. You yeah. might be wanted on stage. You better get back out there. We'll do and more. Yeah, we'll, we'll be. We'll, we'll we're here more. in Atlanta, so indicator for that. So we'll, we'd love to have you back. And uh, yeah, sure, man. You I'm, might be good for my other podcast too, the Timeless Music Podcast. Cool. I got a bunch of lies to tell. I mean, a bunch of stories. <laughs> Beehive hair salon stories. I could tell one. Oh no. German Shepherd get bit by a statue. I see the two headed people every day. I talk to the bishop and the prophet too. 
Before we get into anything else, I just got a text from my mother, Rob. Did you really? And she wants to ask me if I'll go ahead. Now my sister, here she comes my sister. All right, so my mom says to me, she wants me to get on this app. Now, mind you, she's the hurricane's on the way. Yeah, Hurricane yeah. Irma's coming. In yeah, the, and it's which, pretty by scary. The way, my, South my, she decided she would not, my, my father, <clears throat> my Dad, stepmother, Sa- one you quick thing for me, at, one okay. family, my stepmother, Sandy, getting out of Naples. And I'm glad to hear she evacuated. And my aunt, Alice, who, who lives on Tidewater Island in Fort Myers, got flooded. And now she has to deal with running from a hurricane. I love you both. My heart goes out to you. Now back to your family. So. My mother says she ha- wants me to sign up in this app because uh, it's a walkie-talkie. And she could just, you know, we can talk back and forth without, like, what the fuck's a phone for? My, so my sister, my sister just texts and goes, all we need now is to have mom have access to walkie-talkie so she could talk to us at any time she wants. No, thank you. And I agree. My, it, listen. I guess my mom doesn't understand that if the if the storm when the storm hits, uh, if the f- cell phone service doesn't work and there's no internet, the walkie-talkie thing is not going to work. Stick to text and calls, mom. Uh, my I call my dad though. My mom, I'm like, guys, you you know, this is a couple days ago. I'm like, board up the house, come stay with us. We're yeah. in Atlanta. This is a scary one. You know, my dad says, oh, don't don't you worry. The house is made of cinder blocks. Yeah. Like yeah, but the roof's not. Did you see Saint Martin? I really hope that they'll scary, be all right. But you know, scary, scary well, stuff. My mom says, "I just had, I, I just want you to know, I just went through surgery, and if that didn't take me down, no hurricane is gonna take me down." Okay, mom. All right. So before we move on to the spread maestro, back in 1988, I'm at a Frank Zappa concert. I think this is the same night that I often identify as my greatest rock show ever because uh, the night before he had arrived late, he literally had to sound check in front of the audience. And he he did a show that I thought was great, but I guess he didn't. How many Frank Zappa shows did you see in your life? Just like eight or nine. I wish I'd seen more, and I could have. And he would hang out with the fans who traveled them, unless he, unless they were like he didn't like the people who were the drug users. But if you were clear headed and you hung out, so that's why you didn't go. You were the drug user. Well, I have to be on. I was never a big party when I was young, but I did do psychedelics a little bit. And so, so anyways, you knew there was already word out that Berkeley kids were coming the next night. And then the fact that Frank clearly was visibly not happy to have to sound check in front of the audience the uh-huh. first night, and it wasn't anybody's fault. I mean, the plane was late or whatever. They, they had traveled the day of for some reason, which musicians don't normally do. But anyways, he came out that second night, and in part to make up for the night before, and in part because there were all those Berkeley kids, he just dropped a bomb on us. And it, it, was, it was in the air. Like, there was a cosmic person dressed up as a cosmic utensil going all around. A you, cosmic utensil? Yes, and that's a reference to a... Um, Joe's Garage thing. Oh, gotcha. And um, if you ever meet Ike Willis, ask him about this night. Ike remembers it. I've had conversations with him about it. This is a very special night, the second night of the Boston Orpheum in 1988. So anyways, I took mushrooms at the show. I'm not a big... I don't do psychedelics anymore. Partly because I think you can, particularly with LSD, I think you can tap into them. No, you don't do psychedelics anymore because you could just... why, Why put it on your tongue when you can shove it up your nose? 
Well, no, I don't do. I'll never do that crap. But don't get me started on coke. Uh, I was just. I have no interest in coke. Stay away from the pills and powders. It's simple, basic stuff. Everyone I've talked to, as you'll discover in a future episode, the pills are. The pills can really fuck you. They really take people away, man. So, anyways, in Boston Orpheum, I'm high on mushrooms, Mm -hmm. and the show ends. And off to the left side is where you go backstage, and I was hanging out on the wall that's around the corner from the backstage. <laughs> you were on the wall? Are you sure? Is this physically on the wall? <laughs> on the mushrooms? <laughs> I'll get this story out, folks. I promise. So I'm hanging, leaning on the wall, and my friend comes around and says, Frank's right there, and he's talking with people. And then my friend comes back and says, well, Frank's only got one person left. Do you want to go talk to Frank? And I was, and I was too high on mushrooms, and never did it, and never got a chance to meet Frank Zappa again. So, as much as I, as much as psychedelics are great, that's the dark side of them. You can you can blow opportunities, right, Birdie? Birdie is totally anti psychedelics. She just woke up and came out of the other room to echo my point. That bitch. <laughs> All, right. All right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Uh, so, we're going to move on to the John Bell interview. Yeah, why Why not? Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Yeah, any preface on this? Well, again, we're backstage. This, this was... We're in catering. Well, the whole... There sits John Bell. The whole trying to pull the these musicians away up to the room. rock, scissors to who's going to go up to him. Right. Schools clearly, visibly, was uninterested. Um, Todd Snyder wasn't... It didn't seem much interested. And well, that, you know why? It's because I thought Todd was just a roadie, and I'm like, excuse me, sir, um, I need to talk to this person next to you. <laughs> really? Yeah, and well, I went over and talked to him. Fond of, I said something about his book, and he kind of went, eh. <laughs> But we'll get Todd someday. I don't know about Dave. I'd love to interview Dave. You I just heard a nice interview with Dave on Sirius. Just have Todd on your other show. I don't, I don't want him on our show. Okay. But um, I heard an interview with Dave School on Sirius. Fight me on this. No, I'd love to have him on another show. <laughs> Go even deeper. <laughs> No, but Dave Schools was on Sirius, and, the, and, and no, uh, no offense, I love Sirius, but the interviewer was terrible, and Schools was helping him out and was really effusive and making up for it. It was fantastic. So I would like to interview him, but I, from that day, I don't get the sense we ever will. He really didn't seem to want to be bothered at all. So we're hanging out outside of the office where Steve and Jennifer were, and Dwayne was there, and we were just chatting, and then John walked over, and you had already talked to him, and we were just kind of like, you want to do it now? And he's like, okay, and we got in that little elevator, the one that you when you hear the Drew Emmett... Uh, interview eventually you'll hear uh, the woman yell about the elevator it's like the elevator at my old dad's off my, my dad's old office in boston same kind of thing one of those where the it's got the door how do you explain that it's old style it's, old it's you style. have to have an elevator attendant to get you up and down right and i was were we supposed to be tipping her him them <sighs> well i thought you did i thought you did I thought you, the guy that never has money. I get the did. bathroom guys. You get the elevator guys. You definitely do get the bathroom guys. We'll <laughs> talk about that another time. All right, folks, here's JB.
remember that you know football teams, baseball teams would share a stadium. So you'd have seventy thousand capacity for you know baseball game, and it was that could be pretty sparse. Yeah, echoey. Yeah, and and there'd be the cross season where you still had hash marks on the baseball fields. There's only so, one left. And baseball fields on the hash marks. There's only one left. I think San Diego. Now that's gone, right? I, think I don't know. I'm I'm not a big student of it. I just you know I just remember that we only had one place up in Cleveland. Are you rolling? Well, Rob, you're still sitting here. We're still backstage at Hampton still. 70. It feels like we've been here for 70 <laughs> a little bit. minutes. But look who we got, Seth. The Cleveland who? Indians. Who? The Cleveland Indians <laughs> fan and frontman of Widespread Panic, Mr. John Bell. Howdy, boys. Howdy, Thanks for howdy. taking the time. Yes, thank you. Sure. Anything for Bruce. So, Bruce, you've, how, you go way back with Bruce, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what Bruce means to you? Um, shoot. I mean, you, you learn about, a lot about yourself around Bruce. And I, I think the first time that I experienced him, he was playing with Tinsley, Ellis, and the Stained Souls at the Uptown Lounge. And, um, and I was playing pinball and playing to their music. That was how I danced. <laughs> that was how I danced. <laughs> and um, there weren't a whole lot of people in the joint, but I remember them uh, all of a sudden putting their instruments down and coming off the stage and um, doing the elephant walk. <laughs> like with a hand between yeah, their between, legs. Exactly. Were they playing Mancini's <laughs> Elephant Walk too? Say what? Were they playing the song too? They might have, yeah, at first <laughs> before they'd left the stage. And then it so it was um So it's like this surrealness that would catch up to you. You all of a sudden you were watching it and going, This is really whacked. And um and then the first time we got I first time we met was uh we were on Landslide Records together, and we just signed. And Rothschild, right? Yep. And um, and I think and I think Michael had. Uh, we were playing a college gig, some uh, Agnes Scott College. We were playing here. That's, yeah, here that's in what Atlanta. Bruce has. Is that his grandmother had a house there or something like that? Or yeah, I wouldn't believe it. He's been Atlanta forever, and uh, so Michael had Bruce. Uh, deliver our first pressings which is a big deal for you when you're a brand new band mm-hmm. and um, and we just got to know each other from that and then there was you know we would hook up and do gigs together and some other encounters and um, the basic I don't know if you've talked to Dave I know he has a story in his head well I, we all do um, we were playing the Nick um, in Birmingham, and it was the first time we saw. This was the first incarnation of Aquarium Rescue Unit, and they're sitting there playing with egg beaters and, <laughs> um, you know, just wrestling moves and stuff. It, it was just. It was there was a stage show going, but the music was just like wow. Yeah. And so we were we were totally dismantled. We really, we really couldn't play after that. 
<laughs> we were so self-aware. It just, it just cracked us open. And, um, and I remember some guy from another, another band that was, you know, one of the many touring bands that we all kind of shared spaces with. And he just kind of looked after the show. He just like, what happened to you guys? He goes, what was that all about? And um, it, was, it was wild. We were so self-aware. And we had just witnessed music being performed in a way that we hadn't seen before. And so it was, uh, you know, you wake up the next morning and, and you go, well, that happened. <laughs> and, did it? What happened? And, you, and you just go, well, you knew, you didn't know if it was going to be lasting. But, I th- you know, I think I remember making a conscious choice to be okay with whatever I was however I was applying myself and um, you know take it from there because there was a part that was just like part of you was trying to think along those lines that you just experienced it was it was it was like I said it cracked us open it was really it was really whacked but yeah we came into a little realm of self-acceptance and (laughs) so then you ended up on the horde tour with them Uh how did that did you were you guys I think I understood the story right. You, were you guys a part of getting the Colonel I mean, uh, ARU onto the Horde tour? Yeah, it was basically, as I recall, it was uh, Blues Traveler and Fish and Widespread Panic. And um, we, uh, oh, let me see. Well, basically, we had been playing gigs together. And, you know, we'd have an audience in the South so we'd come have them play with us and we'd get to go play up in new york or vermont with those guys and so starting to share territories and and getting exposed and so uh but here we were summer was coming up and um we thought that what if we got it together and went into bigger venues you know the sheds the summer the summer shed venues and um charge a really reasonable ticket price and try to get as many people to come as possible it was a bargain it was like 20 25 bucks or something right for five or six i think the first year was 10 wow and i went to the first one it was actually in a small arena in portland maine Mm mm-hmm and um and so, you know, there was a little shift, sh- uh, shape-shifting. Um, they had, oh, who was the band? Na, 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 na. Spin, Spin Doctors. Spin Doctors. <laughs> and, and we were like, man, we got to have Bruce and the Aquarium Rescue. And they were like, who's that? Yeah. And it's like, you'll happen. see. You, you got to, you know. Because he was, and then he, <clears throat> I think he had the same effect on those guys. So we all became just kind of enamored with what they were doing on stage and, um, mm-hmm. and uh, supporting each other. And um, so when there was a little dose of, uh, oh, it was our banjo playing buddy. Uh, who's a really good... Uh, Bela Flack? Bela, yeah. Cause <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> there's a couple of more reallys in there. <laughs> oh, God, he had the Wootens with him. So that was all uh, of a sudden we were seeing 
Oh, they, they were on Horror Tour as well? Though? That's the Southern shows. Fish oh, played the Four North, and then Flecktones yeah, played the Fish Four South. Yeah, Fish decided they, they wanted to stay up north, and, um, and so Bela did the second leg. Okay. And I think with the first year, we did like eight shows, something like that. Yeah. And um, so, but that was, uh, and expanded a little mm-hmm. from there. And, um, but, uh, yeah, that, so that was the beginning, as I recall. <laughs> and I love that the one I went to, and at least one other, uh, when ARU ended their set, they just continued jamming. You guys would come out one by one, and it would morph into a widespread set. Whose idea was that, and, and how fun, and, or otherwise, is that? <laughs> well, I'm sure it came from one of our camps. Um, but, uh, we, you know, we, we were spending a lot of time together, so this was the kind of stuff we would do when we'd be playing gigs together, and so we jammed together a lot. And it was solely based on we were going to get 20 extra minutes to play. You know, both bands would each get like ah. basically ten extra minutes to so play. You have to set up all the equipment for both bands. Music <clears throat> economics here, yes. And um, well, but it was—I mean, it was pretty heavy because we were sl- rolling in um, another drum kit and had to have enough mics and lines for that. So it was uh, there was a lot of logistics involved as far as the crew went, um, but mostly it was because when we were. We we did the lineup like, you know, the more popular bands that were, you know, selling more tickets in a certain area. Um, and the North would be um, Blues Traveler and Fish and stuff. And so we had shorter, earlier sets. And so that we just um, thought we'd kind of try that just to do something different. And, uh, and it, yeah, it worked. It was, it was fun. I still... I was going through my storage space. I still got some DAT tapes from the the soundboards. Really? Did you pop them on? Uh-uh. I don't even do the DAT anymore. the DAT right? I do. It's like uh, my wife has all these uh, video cassettes from a recorder, and we have no, I mean, not even the VHS, the ones, the little small ones. Like, yep. you know, it's like, what are we going to, got to find the recorder we can actually play it from, you know? Well, I wonder about this event. Colonel Bruce is so much about improvisation, yet we have a timed event. <laughs> How are you guys sorting through all that stuff? Is there a, are you, are, is there a lid on the improv for one night only? Oh, I don't think so. It'll just be, uh, man, all these cats, we've all known each other for, or known of each other for a long time. Mm. So it's, uh, <clears throat> um, there's been a lot of commingling over the years. So, I th- you know, I think everybody knows what's up. It'll be... It'll be improv, and we know that there's kind of a, you know, kind of a schedule. They all saw the hook on the side of the stage, and also, Rob, <laughs> they're like doing like, what, two or three songs and kind of filtering musicians in and out. So as soon as, as, soon as the band gels, it gets a new back to you. And everybody, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm more of a vocalist, but when I watch the instrumentalists, they're all, they're extremely aware of each other, and... Um, and they know basically there's a there's an etiquette of um give and receive and uh, and melding together and uh and letting the music 
speak for itself and you know don't always have to over talk a subject you know but all these guys have a they have a keen awareness of how to make a statement and and lay it out in front of you Overtopping a subject is a whole know. podcast. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, though, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. So Bruce, though, Bruce, the Colonel's, uh, he's the staple in, in when it comes to sitting in with uh, with Panic. Um, and that's uh, how often is it that you bring something to him saying, hey, Bruce, got to come out and you know work on this song? Or is it mostly just let's do Love Light and shine on it? Fixing to die. Dude, man, we play... Uh, We'll start smokestacking. He'll be singing Nobody's Fault But Mine. <laughs> Every, I mean, uh, everything we've done, we just said, hey, let's do this. And yeah. he gets on stage and what happens, happens. That's the best. Uh, so, okay. So, let's talk. Give us a, give us a share a story, a funny story that may have happened with Bruce uh, uh, sitting with you, Al, or, or anything, really. Or anything along yeah. the line. Well, shoot. I mean, along those same lines, when we did our acoustic tour. The, you're talking about the wood tour. Yeah, and he came in and sat in with us. and uh, electric guitar. No, okay. Did he play? In, I think he just sat in a chair and sang. That's the... Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's Bruce coming through. <laughs> All right, so, so back, going back to the wood tour. That, I mean, again, it was... Uh, I, what were we playing? Fixing to Die, but... Uh, he was singing in an off time and we just wrote it out it, and it it works oh yeah it worked but it was like he never he never let go of it he never tried to get back on track and um, we stay where we were and it still worked it made the record yeah did you uh, you know his three dog night story oh <laughs> yeah you want to you want to share that one I think so it was um now they, boy, I know a lot. Alabama, of, they were opening for three. Uh, dog opening night. for three dog night, and so and they played Jeremiah was a bullfrog <laughs> numerous times. Yeah, I think opening for them. Yeah, they, uh. they basically. <laughs> that's a Todd Snyder kind of thing. <laughs> or that's not the name of the song, but whatever you know, it was, but they pretty much played Joy all to the their world. hits. Joy to the yeah. world. and <laughs> and from what the way that story was relayed to me that people were going ballistic like <laughs> throw, throwing their chairs up on stage and really they taking really gotten hurt really <laughs> taking it personally <laughs> and I heard another one where uh, opening for Allman Brothers Bruce was in charge of booking the opening acts and there was supposed to be like I don't know three or four other opening acts and it was this and this is my understanding. I, it kind of it could have been embellished. Yeah, but yeah. We'll take um, but uh, but apparently he uh, just booked his band under three or four different names, <laughs> and so they opened for themselves, opened for themselves, opened for themselves, <laughs> and uh, and he I think he was already tight with uh, Dwayne, who just thought he was hilarious, and that he he got it. You know, Dwayne. Got Bruce's out thereness, and um, so there. I don't know how it all worked out money wise, but I, you know, it, the show went on. Mm-hmm. And you talk about you talk about um, Dwayne. That, that I'm just thinking of uh, Phil Walden. Now you got to see Walden and Bruce together. Yeah, Phil, on the former head of Capricorn Records, right? Mm-hmm. 
And his son, Phil Jr., was our, uh, he was our first uh, manager. Um, and then we were the first, uh, first band on Capricorn Records when it uh, reemerged. And um, so, yeah, and I would just, oh, man, I've got it on my computer. I've got a picture of Bruce signing his record contract with Capricorn yeah. in the old days. <laughs> and Bruce is, I think he's like 23 years old. So, and and Phil Walden, he's a pretty young guy too. Yeah. And he's, I just, uh, just the stories that Bruce gives of Walden though, he, the way he brings him to life, like it's like, uh, I've never seen anyone do that. The, uh, the plane story. Oh, right, right. He told that on. He was our first guest on this. He's the godfather of our show. He was the first guest. Really? When we were nobody, he came on. Big Phil? Uh, no, I'm no, talking no, about no, Colonel. No, he told the story oh, about okay. Phil. Yeah. We'd love to have Big Phil on. Is he still with us? No, he passed away a good See, number of years ago. He made the same mistake with T. Lavitz in the JoJo interview, so I, I don't feel bad. Right, right, Seth? <sighs> All right. The score so is even. <laughs> I want to get specific because you mentioned the Allman Brothers. Mm-hmm. And um, back in 09, you did a bunch of dates with them. And one of them in Birmingham. Was it in 09? Was that long so. ago? I think so. Because it was their, the, the big, big year for the Almonds. Maybe their greatest year ever. But anyways, um, Colonel comes out. They're opening for you. And they do Mountain Jam toward the end. Colonel comes out and does a smokestack that just tears the roof off the place. And then Derek follows it with an otherworldly solo. And then they end their set and you've got to follow that. Is that daunting at all? Is that is that a, is that heavy, or is it just like nope? We'll go out and do our show. It's the same thing of like when we first met Bruce. You have to you have to go. Just do what you're going to do. And True, but it's hard enough to follow the Allman Brothers anyway. I, well, I'll tell you. There, I mean, there are points. I'll, you know, I go out and listen to a band, but if uh, if I'm getting too engaged after two or three songs, then I'll I'll usually kind of cut strings and go back. Hmm. So so I'm not too lost and in that because all of a sudden then I'm it just, it just seems to be a safety mechanism yeah right. for not getting too lost and you can get lost in music and then not even want to play you just want to watch other people that's play. interesting yeah and I mean a lot of times you know some people on the fan side might say well geez that, you know, don't you want you know see that you got these bands you're no but I think it's with, a cousin but... of what Joni Mitchell calls the kill, mom, kill mommy syndrome yeah, right yeah maybe <laughs> where you have your biggest influence you have to completely stop listening to and I could see the smaller version of that being you don't want to be influenced by who's opening for you or mm-hmm. lost in it you want to stay in your own thing did you have a mommy you had to kill as a musician did you have a favorite that you had to stop listening to at some point um n- I, not intentionally I think we just I mean, at one point we were we were playing 300 shows a year, so aside from a few things that we listened to, you know, after after a gig or something um, on the record player, it was like mostly you're just involved with the music that you were discovering together, and so yeah, so a lot of it, I quit going to concerts which up until then I've been you know it was every weekend I'd be going to concerts and just watch what was going on and see how how the dynamics were working but uh, but then it became you know <laughs> then it wasn't like you you didn't really want to listen to that much music after you're that saturated so you're watching more TV and I want to also follow up you, t- you talk about how Colonel uh, kind of gives you the freedom and the courage to be yourself on stage. 
And if I may, it seems to me when you're performing, the moment at which perhaps you are most on yourself is when you're doing the improvised raps. We just got one of the best I've ever seen just last weekend Uh, during Hatfield. So is that a little bit of the kernel influence a little bit to just to be able to, I mean, I I think people don't realize when they listen to this to this stuff and oh it's cool you did a rap but you're really kind of burying your soul and like the most recent one it seemed like you were shutting your eyes and just saying what you were seeing what was coming to you that's how it goes and you know sometimes you could you you know you might not have the the tuner hmm. right on but sometimes all of a sudden the characters are just popping to life and then you just report on them so I, I think that's more of a for me I think I probably picked up on that through uh, Van Morrison ah. the most because um, he, he goes on a stream of consciousness thing and then some and some of the romantic poetry that I was exposed to just going to college you you got to and some of the writing classes it was like you saw the value of um, of stream of consciousness kind of um, just applying yourself that way and, but it doesn't always happen, and, and you know, and, not, and I didn't really think of it as a thing. But when people started mentioning it, now I'm even a little more self-conscious about it. So, way to ruin it, Rob. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Sorry Panic fans. <laughs> please. Stay. Are you ever surprised? Do you ever surprise yourself with what comes out? Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, that makes you that makes you really happy. Was Hatfield this last one one of those? Another symptom is you can't. Remember. You don't remember. You don't remember. Well, yeah, I have it here for you, actually. There's no, a meme. Yeah, there. there's a whole thing. <laughs> Someone actually made a meme and put it on a... I, and, you know, I've, and I've done, like, like in Hatfield, there is a place. There, you know, there are a couple tunes. Um, Arlene, I think. handful of tunes. Arlene's the whole thing's stream of consciousness. And, uh, and usually... But there are, there are places I've visited that I remember and I revisit some of those images. And sometimes they'll add together. Sometimes, you know, it's uh, to strike your memory. This one was. But uh, the best <laughs> is like the first time. I mean, the first time that you go off, and you, and you really don't have control over it. You're just there's some kind of energy, and you're you're telling a story, and it takes off by itself. So at once you're at your most vulnerable, but also probably the most invigorating at the same time. Well, yeah, because you become an audience member at the same time. Um, we recently sat down with Randall, Ramblin. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Randall, I remember when we first got together, he was like, Hey, Jimmy, uh, I noticed that uh, your songs don't rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> and, I mean, there's some close rhymes in there sometimes, but that was another one where I was just like, oh, yeah. Didn't it's not think, about the rhymes. I didn't about think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But. No, no, we just, uh, with, with, we talked to Randall, though. He, uh, we, were, uh, we were just talking in, in general about where, the, where Panic's at now, and it seems like you guys have a, a really fresh energy, um, that, or even beyond fresh, that there's something rekindled, there's a... There's a spark that's been lit. Um, how are you feeling? Is that just the perspective out there? Is that how are you feeling as a band right now? Um, well, you know, we've, we've deliberately and probably permanently slowed down to, you know, 20. This year we're doing 22 shows a year. 
so we can keep things going, but um, but also focus on other stuff and and be with our families more and stuff like that. Um, so right now we're kind of finding out what that feels like. You know, we've taken year, a year off here mm-hmm. and there before, but um, we've never done it like this, where well, where we play four shows and then. I'll see you guys in six weeks, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, but I noticed it like when Jojo first joined the band in 92, I think it was, that was a big rush of newness, not just in songwriting, but we had, um, his professor long hair kind of Mm -hmm. attitude and his attitude in general, he's a nut. (laughs) And so that was fresh. And then it happened when Jimmy joined the band. And, um, and it happened when Dwayne joined the band. And so right now we're in our, uh, God, we're, we're over two years with Dwayne. Yes, time flies. And, you know, he's half our age, so there's a lot of, he's got a lot of energy. But he's family, legitimately family. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, um, he's a lot of fun to be with. Can you talk about when JoJo came back with the clavinet and how starting to work the clavinet into your sound? Um, now I might I might be getting this wrong but I'll throw it out there it was either the Whirly or the Clavinet when we went on a tour with Freddie Jones band from uh, Chicago yep Clavinet was it yep they they found one at a um, pawn shop and gave it to him right so all of a sudden Jojo had a Clavinet to so do you say hey Try it on this song or on this song, or is he just trial and error, throw nah, stuff out at you? He does, does what he wants. And um, Has that always been the, the deal with, with Widespread? Pretty much the songs come in, and then everybody just paints the way they paint? Or does exactly. once in a while, does a songwriter ever say, hey, I kind of want this here and that here? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, if, you've, if you've been sitting back and developing a song on time off or something, and you are starting to hear different sounds... Um, it's e- you might either present that in a demo tape that you put together in your own little workshop or or ha- or have a suggestion but usually and and it, and it might just be and it usually just delivered as like hey you know what i hear and what do you think um but in we do not we don't go into that scope of saying um this is how this should go and need you to apply yourself that way um everybody's we count on each other to um follow our inspiration as you know <laughs> to the extent of how inspired we are <laughs> and you don't and you don't force it either just like you know if you don't uh you don't have to be this big shining thing every song every moment you know, you you got to trust trust yourself to be able to um, know when you're really inspired and li- and hearing some stuff that you want to recreate musically, and and when and, and make sure you try you don't you're not trying too hard because you just want to have input to have input. You know. Well, cool. Thank yeah. you so much for your Thank time. You very very much for your time, and we'd love to have you back uh, doing a full interview with you about your career with widespread and your children <laughs> and as a callback to van morrison and randall bramlett real real gone with the mega blasters would be so crazy good yeah you could sing the shit out of that song <laughs>
Yeah, yeah that's he's pretty much that's he's the most represented in my uh, in my iTunes. Hmm. Got me down to the very marrow. <laughs> Thanks, John. Sure, thanks. cool guy yep i i enjoyed that and i've had the opportunity to meet him several times doing panic on the playa but i never actually really got to sit down and talk with him and i enjoyed that he's an uh, i really enjoyed some of the stories he shared with us and a lot of the insight he gave us very thoughtful and serene guy and i would learn even more so later should i tell this story yeah we've alluded to it on the show before Uh, well well the colonel had been taken out of the oh you're yeah of the theater and we were all still kind of in turmoil. And I remember going downstairs, and there was Vince, Kevin Scott, Vince Herman, who we're going to interview this weekend. We're going to have a, perhaps have a leftover salmon blowout episode or episodes coming up. Anyway, Vince Herman, Kevin Scott, and someone else, I forget. And Vince told me that the colonel had been revived. Okay? And I'm on the bottom floor. And at, the, at that moment, I'm like, good news, great news. And then I start walking up the stairs. As I'm walking up... For some reason, I get unsettled. I get more upset. Instead of getting happier, I'm getting more upset. Go up another couple flights, and I'm like really freaked out. And then I look up, and there's you and John Bell at the top of the little half stairway. And then I just kind of, since I found you, I was really looking for you. So I kind of just sat there and was kind of in a daze. And you guys came down, and you were, you said, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, whatever. And, and, I, and then I said, oh, well, actually, Colonel's been revived. And then... And then Bell, John, just started talking to me. It was almost like he knew. And he just started talking really calmly. I don't even remember what he was saying, but it did. He was just his presence and his calm calmed me down. Because even at 50 years old on that night, I was out of my element. I was confused. I was scared. It was a really, 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 it was like nothing I ever have or will experience. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I agree. The confusion backstage after Colonel was taken out and the, and well, the just, looks every- on the, these people's faces had been bright and, and just so joyous all day and now we're completely the opposite. Yeah, it was like almost everyone got hit in the belly and got the wind knocked out of them. The difference is, is you know, we were all there together and, and there, was, there was no separation of fan and 
an artist and any of that at that point. It was just human. And like that's the, uh, you know how they say art when you get to know when you meet an artist sometimes they're they're great but sometimes they say don't ever meet your artist don't ever meet your hero because you, yeah you might get them at a bad time it might not even be indicative of who but, they really are but then you meet artists and sometimes the most compliment you hear is oh they're just you're just 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 a person well that night we all were people and it was very yeah, clear that's true it cut right through it really did we all were colonel fans warren haynes Derek trucks or the last guy in the back row were all the same person when colonel went down so speaking about going down I went down to City Winery to pick up some promotion materials, which they're really cool about making us stuff. And while I'm there, I, I go into the bathroom, and I look at their schedule, because they put it right right in front of you there. So while you're peeing, you can review what's coming up, see when David Bromberg might be coming. When you're peeing, you can review what's coming up. What are you doing in the bathroom, Rob? Oh, we're back in the Catskills with horrible comedy. So I'm looking at the schedule, and it says, for our date, first of all, Another event, books and something, books and burning. I don't know. That's there's different things going on in the city winery. They have a, they it's like a. Well, for on. our event, it has Steve Lopez. Nothing about a podcast, nothing about DJ Logic, and nothing about Voodoo Visionary. Rob, I saw that in an but, ad. Before you go on, I love Steve Lopez. I'm excited to interview him. I'm not putting him down, but you know, tour manager is not really the headline of the event. You and you think that I would promote it that way? I think that's your role is to make sure that things are promoted properly. Yes, I present it to them with all the information. How they then they don't give me a copy of everything they're going to put out. I'm not involved with the city. There's got to be a mechanism in that. place where things appear on schedules the way that we should be. The artists are able to do it. Why can't we? It's and the artists sometimes the the venue still messes up. Like that happens. It happens. You you know you go through one you. person. To, you know what, City Rob? Winery's awesome. I love City Winery. They're the best. I'm, you? That's like blaming me on your research fuck-up. Are you messing up on someone's pronouncing of a name? No, Every I love taking mess- blame for that. I love taking blame for that. All right, listen, Mr. It's Wolverine. Funny. I, I don't want to hear any more of this. Are you going to call Brett Hunt? Ooh, I can't say that. Well, I can't. I don't know what you're talking about. Move forward. I know, because you don't do research. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, folks. No, and Seth has been doing great work. I'm really excited about the live event. No way the live events happen if not for Seth. More, please? No. Ah, oh, such an asshole. Well, by now you're listening, and hopefully Florida is still a part of this country. Yeah, I am scared for Florida because uh, I've reviewed the islands and the size, and oh, my God. Oh, my God. And we don't even know what it's going to do when it hits land. It could come up here. We could lose some trees. If it goes too far west, there can be, like, it can kick up. A, it's so big it can kick up a What's tropical the deal, storm though? What's the fucking deal with... People and their conspiracies. Oh, these storms are man-made. Man's making these storms and making them so powerful. They're gonna shut the fuck up. It's a goddamn storm. Yeah, and, I, and people want to deny climate change, but you know we got two more storms coming, and it's not. I know it's hurricane season, but the 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 intensity, the the reality lies in the increasing been intensity. Been calling of the storm. this getting more yeah, and more much- intense. The fact it hasn't happened like this strong in a couple of years. When it, I mean this, they've been calling this every year. And if you think you know science more than a scientist, then you probably have your head up your ass. Or you should be president, because apparently if you don't know science like that, that's where you go. Yeah, because there's a certain uh, element of the crowd that'll worship you. Heil Trump. All right, so (laughs) (laughs) 
With that said, Rob, anything else you want to say before we close this out on a positive note? Excited Domain Squeeze uh, is coming up. Next episode will be Marcus King because he has his own festival. For the first time, Marcus King Band will be headlining their own festival. Is it the Pisca Brewery? Yeah, but is it really a festival? Like When I think festival, I'm thinking camp. I'm thinking like multiple stages. He's doing a couple bands at the Pisca Brewery. It's, It's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I, I feel like festivals being used too loosely these days. Oh, you know what? We were going to review the reviewers. Well, let's do this. If you folks, because we haven't been doing that, no one's really yeah, said no, anything. Well, no one's ever says anything, by the way. Yeah, insideoutwtns at gmail.com. At, yeah, I know Timeless already is getting more email than news. Do you know, because we give our email out at the end. No one's listening. If you're listening right now, you're one of the few, I bet. That's true. That's a if good you're point. listening right now, email us at wt at. Oh, here we go again. If you are listening, email us inside out WTNS at gmail.com. That's inside out WTNS at gmail.com. Do you Say, want- I'm listening right now, and I'm going to send you a package. Include your your uh, your mailing address. And we've sent packages out before. And, you know, let us know. Do you want do you want us to fool around with the old segments that we used to do, or do you want us to keep it straight the way it has? You know, Uncle Morty hasn't given a call in a long time. Mordecai Grossman, where's he been? Is there a young jam band that you would like us to be aware of? Let us know. Is there a young uh, indie rock uh, band? Is there any, any interesting band? Do you want me to stop talking over Rob? Do you want him to stop talking over me? Particularly if the band is coming to Atlanta. If, you, if there's a band you really are interested in having on the show and you're really a fan of theirs... Let us know a few weeks before they come to Atlanta. So it gives us time to check them out. And, and for those negative people out there, tell us who you don't want us to interview. If you don't want to tell us who to interview, tell us who you don't want. We just want your feedback. Yes. And if you are a guest on the show and we put all the work into a show, then, you know, provide us music and uh, promote us on uh, social media. Come on. Don't be shy. And I'm putting a number in the air. Don't say it, Rob. Harris is over there. You oh, got this, I Harris. Number. Right? I see a number. All right, folks. Guess that number, 1 through 10, and you're going to win a package. So email us. Everyone can win. And that's it for this week. Here is some widespread panic. Widespread panic.
Kingston What about Detroit and Pittsburgh, PA You ought to know not to stand by that window Somebody might see you out there Yeah, I got some groceries, some peanut butter That's a couple of days But I ain't got no speakers, no, no headphones I ain't got no records to play Tapping on the 